age right now is called the church age. But it's also end times. When Jesus left, in the scriptures, we see his people referencing this as these end times. In some places, like in Thessalonians, the people would just, they didn't go to work anymore because they were waiting for the rapture to happen like right this second. And Paul had to correct him and say, listen, you don't work, you don't eat. You know, you got to continue to do what you're supposed to do in anticipation. You live your life in anticipation of the rapture so that when God comes, Jesus comes, you're ready. Now, the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ, and there's confusion about that. And after all my study, can I just tell you, I'm still a little bit confused about it. Because his first coming, you might be familiar with the word advent. You hear, you know, the advent, we do it at Christmas time, candles and all these different things. His first advent was when he came to the earth as a, as a man, um, incarnation, that's what I was trying to think of the word, when he became incarnate as a man on the earth. That was his first coming. His second coming is either when he comes for the church, which would be in the rapture, or when he comes after the tribulation period to bring judgment to the earth. Some scholars say that his second coming is all of that second coming stuff. Others say, no, the rapture isn't really his second coming. It's only when he comes after the tribulation. Quite frankly, I don't think it matters that much. We have to be prepared for both. Now, fortunately, if you're born again, you don't have to be prepared for the coming that would be judgment after the tribulation because you're not going to be here for the tribulation. You'll have already been raptured when he comes for the church. Okay, let me just quick give you... Uh, overview. So, so this is the church age. What should the church age be marked by? It should be marked by the church being about the Father's business. Things that look like seek and save that which is lost, destroying the works of the devil, going to all the nations, preaching the gospel, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Push button, go again. Push button, don't go again. Disciples, making disciples, expanding the kingdom into this world until the time that Jesus says to bring back his church, which is the rapture. So that's the second piece of summary. There will come a time, it could be right now, it could be a second from now, and you need to live your lives as though you expect it to be a second from now, when Jesus is going to come and take his church home. Every person that has the Holy Spirit inside of them, that's born again, that's, that's, that's um, committed themselves to repentance, that has trusted in Jesus Christ as the payment for their sin debt, once that happens, God seals them with his spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in there, you are part of the church. If you go to church and you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're just somebody going to church, you're not the church. When the Bible speaks to the church, it's the body of Christ, born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There will come a time, the Father knows when it is, when Jesus is going to come in the sky and he's going to call his church home. Now, some of his church is already there. Joe is a great example for us. Our son Joe passed away about a year and a half ago. His body was cremated, lives in a jar someplace in our house. But Joe himself is in heaven, his soul and his spirit. But he has no body in heaven yet, right? When Jesus comes and the rapture occurs, what will happen is those that are dead in Christ for 2,000 years that have died in faith in Jesus Christ, like Joe, are going to be reconstituted. Their physical bodies are going to be reconstituted. They're going to be pulled up to heaven. On the way up, they're going to be glorified. They'll be made into eternal bodies that will never feel pain. They won't have knee problems. They'll, they'll eternally be perfect. And they will then be associated 
with the soul and the spirit of the person who's going to have it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and always. Amen. Okay? In an instant after that's done, those that are alive and remain in Christ. So not just those that are alive, but those who have come to know Jesus and have remained in Jesus. That's why it's important that we understand that the rapture could happen at any moment. Now, if it turns out that you're, you're found to be not in Jesus, like you, you, know, you were saved and you lost it, or you thought you were saved but you never were, it's not like you don't have another chance, but you'll wish you had done it before the rapture happens because the tribulation is going to be a miserable time, especially for Christians. Okay, so the dead in Christ, their bodies are reconstituted. They're associated with their souls and their spirit in heaven with the Lord forever. Then those that are alive in Christ, those that are alive on this earth, have the Holy Spirit inside of them, are going to be raptured up. If you're familiar with the Left Behind uh, books or movies, he portrays that in a very interesting way. There may be an airline pilot that's a born-again Christian. Boom. Boom, gone. Who's flying this plane? Turns out nobody now because he got raptured. People driving cars. I mean, you could imagine the chaos that would happen in the world after the rapture. Those folks then, me, let's say it happened right now, this looks like a glorious body to you, but it turns out it's not that glorious. But at the rapture, as I'm called up, my body is called up, it will be glorified into an eternal body. The, the mortal cannot, what's the word, it's in 1 Corinthians, inherit eternity, only the eternal. So it will be made into an eternal body. It already has my spirit and my soul in it, bam, to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. No concern ever about going to hell at that point. At that instant in time, there will not be a single Christian on this earth. Imagine that, none. But there'll be a whole bunch that thought they were, right? So somebody will have the message of the gospel to share with the world during what would then be called the tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period of time. It's prophesied in Daniel. It's prophesied in Ezekiel. It's spoken of substantially in the book of Revelation. Uh, in First Thessalonians, in uh, the Gospels, we see the rap, uh, not the rapture, but the tribulation. And let me just make a point, too. This whole thing, I don't think I could ever, mu much, much, much of what I, I teach, I learned mostly from God himself as I'm reading the Bibles. Wow, oh, wow, revelation, wow, I get this. This thing is so scattered throughout the scriptures that if it wasn't for teachers, I'm not sure that I would ever have the discipline to try to sort it all out. So some of this is by actual revelation. Most of what I've come to understand is through just studying from teachers. So now this time of the tribulation starts. It's a seven-year period, but it's broken into two, three-and-a-half-year periods. I don't plan to speak a whole lot about the tribulation time, but just to give you a sense from the scriptures, there's a, uh, a verse in Daniel that talks about the abomination of desolation. Have you heard that phrase? Yes. Slow down. Thank you very much. I, somebody turn the clock so I can't see it. Everybody else is like, no, don't do that. <laughs> we won't get out of here until tomorrow. There's this, this phrase called the abomination of desolation. And, and you've heard the term antichrist. Well, there are many antichrists, but there's one specific antichrist that's going to ultimately claim himself to be God. And during this seven-year tribulation period, he's going to be prophesied. There's a guy called the false prophet. He's going to be prophesied about. He's going to rise to prominence across the whole of the world. He's going to make a deal with Israel, which he's ultimately going to break. Um, he's going to betray Israel. But at the halfway point, he will establish an image of himself. Now, 
gosh, I'm sorry. There's no temple in Israel right now, right? In Jerusalem, the temple's been destroyed. There's no animal sacrifice. There's, there's none of the ritualistic stuff that we would read in the Bible happening in the temple because there is no temple. But the temple will be reestablished. And, and God will be worshipped by the Jews in the temple in Jerusalem. And then halfway through, three and a half years through this period, this Antichrist guy will establish an image of himself in the temple and proclaim himself to be God and demand that he be worshipped in God's very temple. That is the abomination of desolation when you read that. And what's interesting is I was, I was reading in Daniel to try to see the scriptures and understand the context. And, there, and he talks about like times and time and a half and two times and this many weeks and days and, and it's prophetic talk and it's like hard to understand exactly what does that really mean. But there's one in there where he gives a number of weeks. I'm like, I wonder what that is. So I divided that by 52. It came out to exactly 3.5. So the, the abomination of desolation is prophesied as this many weeks. And if you do the math with a calculator or a pencil if you're really smart, you'll find out that it's exactly three and a half years. So the first half of the tribulation period is tribulation. It's establishing, uh, leading up to this place where this Antichrist guy establishes himself as God in the temple of God. And then, I guess it's all heaven breaks loose, but you know what it's going to feel like, right? Because at that point, such um, heresy will have happened that God will start to pour out his judgment on the earth. And for people that are Christians now that have recognized, you know, maybe there's a pastor someplace that, that you know, he, he understands the Bible, but he never truly gave his life to Jesus. His, his, his confession was insincere. He would know because he would recognize the rapture and he would recognize the signs of the times. He would give himself to the Lord if he has any sense at all and he would start to proclaim the gospel. So there will be many, many, many multitudes of people who are saved during this tribulation time but the Antichrist is going to establish a, a world order that will make it almost impossible to survive as a Christian through this tribulation period. Many, 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 many will be martyred for their faith during the tribulation period. So when you read in, uh, in the book of Revelation about the uh, seven seals, the seven bowls, there's another seven. What's the third seven? Trumpets, and, and these are these are the the judgments, the wrath of God being poured out over the earth, shaking everything that can be shaken, to get the earth to wake up before it's too late. At the end of the tribulation period, the second coming of Jesus will occur, and He'll come with His armies. And it says armies. Some say that's angels. Some say that's the saints, because it talks about them clothed in robes of righteousness. He'll come with these armies, and all of the Antichrist armies of the whole world will be arrayed against him in this valley called Megiddo or something. You've heard the Battle of Armageddon? That, that's where it comes from. And, and Jesus, with, with a sword in his mouth, will slay all the armies of the Antichrist, and he will establish his kingdom on earth as it was prophesied. See, that's the mistake if you read in the New Testament. Uh, you know, the guys like the, you know, was it uh, James and John, their mom comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, come here, come here. Hey, when you establish your kingdom, can my, can my boys, you know, Jimmy and Johnny sit on either side of you? And, you know, they could be like the, the second highest guys in your kingdom. He's like, it isn't, I'm not here for that yet. His here, he was, came that time 
to establish his kingdom over sin, to, dis- to defeat sin. And then he comes this time to establish his literal kingdom on earth, where he will rule and reign for 1,000 years. Okay, now I should look at my notes because I don't want to miss anything. I mentioned last week about the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? We are all considered, those of us that, that are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the bride of Christ. In the, in the Jewish wedding program, I won't go over the whole thing, but, but when it's time to consummate the marriage, the, the groom goes to the home of the bride, gets his bride, and then everybody in the town follows him. <laughs> right? Follows him, you know, to this giant party. They go back to the dad's house, the groom's father's house, and, and you know, the, the bride and the groom, they go, and, and then everybody else has a big party that might last like a week long. Well, Jesus, when he comes back for his bride, has that big celebration in heaven. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm not exactly sure when in that period it happens. It might be instantly once we're raptured that we, we enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb, but somewhere during that um, seven-year period, they call it the church's honeymoon with Jesus, that, that marriage supper of the Lamb will happen, and there's real food, you know. For any of you that are concerned that your eternal body might look like my temporal body, it, that doesn't matter up there. We could eat it, and it's awesome, and I don't think there's any problem with anything that you eat in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Real food in real bodies. Jesus had a real body. He said, touch me, feel me. That was a glorified body. That's the kind of body that we're going to have in heaven. So the marriage supper of the Lamb will happen. Let me read to you from uh, Revelation 19 to just expound a little bit on this this, uh, Armageddon. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it, that's capital H, he, Jesus, who sat on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses, for, or from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty." And on his robe and on his thigh he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Fast forward now to verse 19 and 20. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, the beast is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which, um, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh, which that's an answer to a prophecy. So when Jesus comes, he's going to slay all these armies and all these people are going to be that are, uh, have not received Jesus during this tribulation, this, this seven years of shaking, are going to be killed and they're going to go to hell. Now, the prophet, the false prophet and the Antichrist, they don't go to hell. They go straight to the lake of fire. So I would have not understood that the lake of fire was already established at this time. I thought it was established at the end of time, but it, it will exist now for these guys at least. All right. Here's a scripture that many of you are familiar with, and I, I've never seen it in context. I, I'll tr- 
try not to read the whole thing, but it's Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It starts out this way. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So he's going to draw together all of the people of the world somehow and they'll be they'll be judged as either sheep or goats now this particular judgment all the commentators say is a gentile judgment so so this wouldn't be a judgment of jewish people it happened at the end of the tribulation time after jesus has defeated the antichrist and his armies he gathers together the nations and then he says to them these things those of you that are on his right he says things like when i was hungry you fed me when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came and you saw me. And they say to him, Lord, when did we ever do these things to you? And he says, whatever you did to the least of these brothers of mine, which the commentators would tell you is the Jewish people being persecuted in the tribulation, you did unto me. Those are the sheep. He says to them, um, sorry. I should have just read it to you. It would have been faster. Basically, he invites them into his kingdom. Okay, then he addresses the ones on the left. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That eternal fire is not the lake of fire, but it's hell. Hell was not made for mankind. It was made for Satan and his angels. But mankind goes there because they rebelled against God, just like Satan and his demon angels did. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not care for you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So those that did not minister to persecuted Israel, that the, the first group, the sheeps, didn't get to go to heaven because they ministered to Jesus through the people of Israel. And the ones that didn't get to go to heaven, that went into the eternal fire, didn't go there because they didn't do that. The doing of that indicated the presence of God inside of them. It was the fruit of righteousness because they had become righteous in their salvation with Jesus Christ. So he's indicating how he knew who they were because of the deeds that they did. The ones that didn't do those deeds, he knew that they were not righteous because had they been righteous, they would have cared for those that needed care. And they were then sent eternally, well, they were sent to hell. Hell is actually a temporary place. But for the next thousand years, they would be sent to hell. Make sense? Get it? Okay. That happens at the end of the tribulation. Then Jesus establishes his... Eternal, uh, his thousand-year kingdom on earth. It's not eternity yet. It's a literal kingdom on earth with birds and animals and people, but not just people like, like we're people right now, people, glorified people. So if the rapture happens, when the rapture happens, the Christians will go up, they come back with Jesus. And, and when he rewards people, he says, you know, uh, you've been faithful with a little, I'll entrust with you much. You'll rule over this many cities and you'll rule over that many cities. This is then of that ruling and reigning with Jesus that the, bri that the Bible speaks to, this 1,000 years where he establishes his kingdom on earth. 
In Revelation uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, this is what happens to the devil at that moment. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, hell, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So as Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth, he takes Satan, a big angel. I like, like to see that angel. That angel comes with a big chain. He binds up Satan. He casts him into hell, and he locks the door behind him for a thousand years now there's no demonic presence on the earth. Satan's not here. The demons are all bound up in hell. And literally, it's not the lion sleeping with the lamb. That's actually a, a misquoted verse. But in Isaiah, you see verses like the wolf and the lamb. And um, creation, to some extent, will be restored more toward God's original plan because the corruption of, of Satan is not here. But the people... There will be people, right? The people that populate the earth at that point will be those that got saved during the tribulation because all that didn't get saved by most theologians' accounts have then been killed and sent to hell. The ones that are left are the ones that are going to then populate the earth for that thousand years, those that were saved during the tribulation. Tribulation saints will populate the earth, but they're not glorified. The, the saints that come down from heaven with Jesus as he establishes his kingdom, to rule and reign with him, have glorified bodies living on the earth, not in heaven, but on the earth. And then the human beings are just like human beings are now. They're born into Adam, not into Christ. There's a whole bunch more that I need to understand about what happens with them during this time. But one thing that doesn't happen to them during this time is they're not being tempted by Satan. He's not here to do it. So how they're accountable to God exactly, I don't know. Maybe nobody dies during that time. I don't think that's true, but I, I really don't know yet. But at the end, you'll see where the temptation comes. Revelation, uh, moving on to verse 4, those that died as Christians, right? In the tribulation time, the seven-year period, many people became Christians. They gave their life to Jesus. Many, many, many of them are martyred for their faith. Here's where they then are resurrected. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years so you'll see references to resurrections that would seem confusing about the first resurrection, the second resurrection. It's confusing, but it's not contradictory. When the rapture happens, it's not considered a resurrection. This is a literal resurrection because all of these people died during the tribulation. They're now resurrected. They're given their eternal bodies, just like the dead in Christ that were raised prior to the rapture, um, and they become glorified, and now they are connected to the church, the rest of the church that was raptured, to rule and reign with Jesus for this thousand-year kingdom on earth. For those of us now, right, anybody that's saved right now, that's not us because we got raptured. Okay. 
we move forward now to verses 7 through 10 in chapter 20. At the end, now we're at the end of the thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog, Magog, excuse me, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Let me just stop for a second. Imagine this. There are, well, there will be, right, the end of this thousand-year time, there will be so many people who have known nothing but the reign of Jesus Christ in his kingdom, his perfect kingdom for all of their lives, and yet they're still going to be deceived by Satan when he comes out. Can you imagine how deceptive the deceiver is if you've spent your life only knowing Jesus as king and ruler, and he lets Satan out because I guess they have to be tested just like we got tested. And the number that will be deceived and deny Jesus will be like the sands of the seashores of this planet. No, it's hard to imagine, but that's the case. That's why being faithful and being diligent and, and not forsaking the gathering together of the saints, studying that word of God, being filled with the Spirit over and over and over again is so important because once you start to depart from that, you, you lose your sense of truth and you're easily, easily deceived. And, and I'm telling you, I've seen it, I, maybe not a thousand times, but I've seen it many, many times where you'll talk to somebody and be like, man, I don't recognize you. You were so... And then a little bit. Satan doesn't come to take the whole thing at once. He wants to take just a tiny little bit. Just open the door a little. Just get, a, just get headed away from the center of that narrow path. And after a little bit of time, you've got no idea where you're at. Because you're not full. You don't have the Holy Spirit powerful in your spirit. Your spirit's weak. And your flesh has become strong. It must be what happens to these people. Okay, verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's, a, there's doctrine that's floating around you know, the church and the world today that, that will draw scripture out of context and say, no, no, people are destroyed. There is no eternal punishment. There's eternal punishment for you right there. They will be eternally tormented. Now, the level of torment could be more or less, depending on the magnitude of your sin. In Romans chapter 1 or 2, maybe 3, the Apostle Paul talks about heaping on wrath for the day of wrath. So a person who never chooses Jesus but continues to live a horrible life is continuing to add wrath to the penalty, to the punishment that they're going to experience eternally, where someone whose sin is smaller, the wrath is smaller, but it's still weeping and gnashing of teeth with no hope of ever having it cease. The devil is thrown into the lake of fire at that point. The false prophet and the Antichrist are already there. Now comes the final judgment on the world, right? Everybody that didn't choose God through all of time is now accountable. They've been put in jail, but they haven't had their court appearance yet. The ones that were just consumed by the fire that happened from heaven that caused Satan to be thrown into the lake of fire, those people, the person that dies today outside of Jesus, the person that died a thousand years ago outside of Jesus, the people in the Old Testament that died outside of faithfulness in God are all these that are going to be judged 
So verses 11 through 15, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So when you see... um, I can't remember which church. One of the seven churches of the letters in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation where he says, you know, if you persevere, if you overcome, if you hold on to the end, you will not see the second death. This is the second death that he's talking about, right? So every person, unless they get raptured, is going to die once. Every Christian, that's the only death they'll ever experience. But every non-Christian, every person who is not found in Christ, you know, in, in God's grace, at the time of their physical death, will experience what the Bible calls the second death. And this is that. From the time of the first death till the time of the second death, they spend in hell. Hell is temporary. It's not eternal. The, the heavens that we know of as heaven is temporary. It's not eternal. They will be taken from this temporary hell. They will stand before God. And they will be judged according to their deeds. Little wrath, medium-sized, you know, massive wrath. Baby wrath is, is more misery than anybody wants to spend their eternity in, right? I mean, seriously, when you hear about the fear of God, this is, this is a great example of why you should have a fear of God because he's going to judge sin and people are going to end up in hell forever. There's not going to be any appeals process. There's not going to be any I didn't understand. There's not going to be any my pastor told me wrong. Nobody's going to have an excuse. And then it's done. There's no hope anymore after that. At that point, what we know as time is done. There's no more time anymore. Now starts eternity. So you had the the church age from Jesus' ascension. Well, you know, day of Pentecost, 40 days later. From, From then until the rapture is the church age. Then you have this tribulation time, and then you have the millennial kingdom as an age. Then time stops, eternity starts. All of the people who denied God, who rebelled against God, who said, God, I don't want to be with you. And don't you ever let somebody tell you that you serve a horrible God that would send a person to hell. God sends no one to hell. Only people in hell are those that choose because no one who's judged in this great white throne judgment is going to tell God you weren't fair. They will know. They chose to deny Jesus. God, in his mercy, sent his son to bear the weight of all the sin of all mankind, that if they should repent and place their faith in him, that they could be saved and they could avoid the eternal wrath of God that was on them. They were already judged. But they don't. And when it comes time to be judged, they will be judged because they chose not to accept the grace and the mercy that God offered to them. So, eternity. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8, give you a sense. 
Then I saw. Now this, this I is the Apostle John. I mean, we're pretty sure it's the Apostle John. It's some guy named John. We're pretty sure it's the Apostle John. The guy who, whose mom came to Jesus and said, hey, can my little Johnny boy sit at your right side? This is him. He was caught up and he was given these visions, these revelations of what was to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. See, weeping and gnashing of teeth isn't for those that have accepted God's gracious offer of salvation. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is for those that continually decided they didn't want to be with God. He gave them what they wanted. No more pain, no more crying, no more mourning. Eternal heaven in the glory of God. Verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Can I just tell you, in two weeks, again, God willing, when I talk to you about how you know, that's how you know right there. That's a summary of what I'm going to teach in two weeks. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, immoral persons, that's sexual immorality, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, that's how you know. If that practice is in your life, that's how you know. If you have the practice of sin in your life, that's where you're going to go without Jesus. If you think you have Jesus and you have that practice in your life, the Bible says you don't have Jesus. The practice of sin is how you know. I want you to still come because there's some really good stuff. Margie, tell them there's good stuff. Where's Margie? Right? I mean, she heard some of that good stuff the other day. It's really, it's good stuff. All right. So all that being said, that's it. That's the big overview of end times. There will be a rapture of the church, the church, the dead first, then those alive in Christ will be called up to him. They will be given glorified bodies associated with their soul and their spirit, eternally with God. They're safe and secure. There's no chance of them ending up in this lake of fire. Then will come this seven-year tribulation period. The first half will be uh, the Antichrist being established by the false prophet, the world being deceived. Uh, at the midway point, he will call himself God. He'll establish his image in the Jewish temple of God. That's the abomination of desolation. God will then pour out his wrath and shake everything that can be shaken. It will be a horrible time. People that uh, would not take the mark of the beast, the, the Christians will be martyred. Jesus comes with his armies, angels, and I think his glorified saints. He defeats the armies of the world. They're all killed. Everybody that hadn't gotten saved during the tribulation is sent to hell. The Antichrist and the false prophet are sent into the lake of fire. Those that died during the tribulation in Christ Jesus are resurrected to life. They're given their eternal bodies. They plus the raptured church rule and reign with Jesus over his kingdom for a thousand years. 
He takes Satan, he binds him up with a big chain, an angel binds him up with a big chain, sets him down into the abyss, closes the door behind him, and for 1,000 years, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is established on this earth with him as the perfect king. Those that had died or been raptured in his name will rule and reign with him for that 1,000 years. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan's released to deceive the nations. Many, 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 many people will be deceived by him. Though they will have this big rebellion against Jesus. Fire from heaven will come down and consume them. They'll be thrown into hell. Satan will be bound up again. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire eternally. All those that died in rebellion to God will be brought before the king out of hell. They'll be judged. They'll be sentenced. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. Then comes the new heavens and the new earth. And all those who place their faith in the Son of God will live eternally with no pain, no sorrows, no tears, able to experience the, the full, never-ending, infinite glory of God for all of eternity. And that's what it's going to be like the best I know it. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> all right, so what's the point of all that? One last scripture and I'll be done. First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 6. Now, as, the, as to the times and the epochs, Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well what the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them, and suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Now, that's purported to specifically speak to the end of the tribulation time when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom. It's absolutely as applicable, applicable for now that we need to live our lives as though he's coming in this very minute so that nobody is surprised to not be with him. Be sober, be alert, be about the business of the God, the, the business of the church i just repeat it for you one time. Seek and save that which is lost. Destroy the works of the devil. Go to all the nations. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Good message. But it's not just a message. It's a way to live our lives. And we have experienced firsthand what it's like to be sober and be alert and be ready at any time. Because we have experienced losing somebody that was completely healthy in a moment's time, in a wink of an eye, our son Joe. And we're so grateful that Joe was ready. So grateful. As painful as it was, we're so thankful. And just as Pat said, in the end times, there will be many who are deceived. Let not any of us be arrogant in our thinking or mocking God that he isn't who he is. Because in a blink of an eye, that could be you. In a blink of an eye, that could be you. Are you ready? Are you sober? Are you alert? Are you living your life for you as if you're the center of the world?
Or are you living for the one who created you and gave you this gift called life? It's a sobering thought. to become sober-minded. Pay attention, please. And it is so important. What I saw was this. There are thoughts that we have arbored in our heart that cause divisions. For whatever reason, they're being reinforced by reasoning of how others have treated you and the view that you have taken on is the view of your enemy. And it is called separation. And here's the deal. I saw like a plane tied to a chain. And it took off. And as soon as it got to this point where it had a remembrance of the thing that was done to them. And not the remembrance of the thing that Jesus did for you that crucified that thing. And would destroy the chain of darkness. But because you wanted to hang on to it. It taught you right there. And you started circling like this, connected to the thing. And every once in a while, you, you hit that straight and narrow way. You would hit it again here, but you never could get back on that path because the chain was a delay. It seemed like it was all right, but years went by. And then all of a sudden, you got to this place, and that thing locked you and put you in a spin. And you couldn't get free. And it all started back here. The Lord said, crucify the remembrance and the scripture that the Lord is speaking to me is this. If you remember you have all against your brother, it could be your brother, it could be your wife, it could be your children, it could be this, it could be your boss, anyway. If you remember that you have ought, something different that God is doing against your brother, go to your brother and get it right. The right that he's saying is become like Christ to them, whether they receive you or not, you're free to break the chain of darkness and be set your course again. Or you'll circle. And then you'll sit in a service and you'll affect one another. Until you decide and get desperate. There is a desperate cry within the church that when, when you got desperate, when she got desperate, things started happening. It didn't matter what happened to her anymore. I want God to move. What do I have to do? Then you just, you just did it. But as long as you arbor the thing of the past, it'll hold you captive and you're not going nowhere. What do I mean, what do I mean by captive? He said the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Being held captive is you stop believing God and believe the lie right there. You stop becoming like God in that moment because the Lord told me this, that the temptation of the enemy came. But if you spoke what God said, you pierced through the darkness. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been delayed. But because you, you had an opportunity to remember the thing, then you turned toward the thing. You can't go forward by remembering the past. God said all things are purged by his blood and his word 
then why am I holding on to something? Start to deny yourself. De- deny yourself. Deny Satan the right to have any effect on you that would affect one another, unlike God. Here's the good news. And here's the good news. This is why God will not be mocked, is because he sent his son. He sent his son for our redemption. So let's stand and let's praise him. Give him the honor and the glory. And if there's anyone here that does not know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, please come and see Pastor Pat after service. Or myself, Keith, Mike. Because this isn't anything to play around with. It's your eternal soul. And one gave his life for you and made the great exchange because he loves you that much. But God will not be mocked. In Jesus' name, amen. Be all the glory, all the honor. And may as you leave this place today, may your lives be a demonstration of the incarnation of Christ in you and through you. May you demonstrate to this dying world that there truly is a light. There truly is the good news. that you go in peace and live your life and demonstrate the love of God through your words, through your actions, through your lives. May the glory of God be renowned through you. In Jesus' name.